Hey, bosses, this episode is brought to you by Personal Capital. Keep track of your net worth at investlikeaboss.com slash personal. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 97 of Invest Like a Boss. I'm here in Odessa, Ukraine. Sam's in Tampa, Florida. We're about to meet up by this next episode. So I'm excited. Summer siesta, buddy. Summer siesta. We already told the Boss Lounge and everyone, all of our listeners that would be taking the summer off, only doing one episode a month. But we've we've actually had a, a pretty good churnout recently. We're almost back to every week. But we're bringing in some fun episodes. It makes it a little bit more summer manageable. Yeah. And I think this week's episode is going to be fun to talk about because it's all about how not to buy your first home. <laughs> In fact, we're calling this episode When Buying a Starter Home Goes Horribly Wrong with Chris Harrison, my good buddy. So, so how do you know Chris? So Chris is in the office. He works for one of the companies I'm involved with here in Tampa. And um, he was living near the office and he's in a relationship now, decided to buy a new home. Uh, he is actually a little bit of a nomad for the last five years. Now he's selling in Tampa, but he traveled quite a you know quite a lot of places up to Alaska. Did a couple summers up in Alaska. Now down here, decided to buy a home. And for the last two weeks, he's been telling us about this home buying process. How excited he was. How he got approved for the mortgage. How he found the house. Working with a realtor. And every day it was like this building excitement until he closed. And the house closes in on him <laughs> <laughs> almost definitely it's um but you know I, I saw the last he's one of those guys wears emotion on his sleeve similar to me and you could just tell that you know for a few days he was just had a, this kind of bad mood to him and finally we started talking about it. he's like yeah there's just tons of problems with the houses and stuff and it was perfect timing in a sense that last week we recorded the episode talking about what happens legally when these things shake out and how to protect your real estate assets. So if you guys haven't heard that episode, check it out. It's a good preface to this week's episode. But in this week, we're going to talk to Chris about what's happened and you know what's how this whole thing is going to play out legally and otherwise. Yeah. So basically, last week's episode was on the kind of landlord side as an investor, how to protect your butt against lawsuits and tenants. This week's episode is going to be on the tenant side of how to protect yourself against asshole landlords <laughs> you know johnny we try to play both sides here we don't want to be we don't want to uh take the customers and we also don't want to take the investors because we're both of those right so we want to learn how to protect ourselves in both cases yeah i like it so how close to you about buying your own house like have, have now that you've kind of moved back to tampa you signed a year lease i know you're a bit tired from traveling as much as as you were were you thinking about buying a house and are you still after this uh this interview i still am yeah it's um less after this interview but i think it's also just goes into the timing with everything else once you get when you're abroad and you're don't have a home and you really feel that need to set up a base it's ringing through your head like i gotta get a place i need to settle down i need to stop this lifestyle and, and get a little bit more structured home buying sounds a little bit more appealing now that i've been in tampa for two months and i've got a place i'm settled i, I i've kind of alleviated this big hole that I felt in my life for the last few years. I feel less of a need to buy a house. And 
domestic life, redomesticating oneself has a lot of, a lot of headaches. Um, we'll talk about this more on our upcoming quarterly updates, but I, I don't, I don't feel the need to buy a house anymore. I think it'll add more problems and headaches for me than it'll create value. So I'm going to put that on ice for a little bit. I'm still going to investigate and explore some opportunities, but it's not an immediate need now. How about you? So I've been wanting to kind of home base a little bit more. So I looked into buying a place in Bangsko, Bulgaria when I was there because it's the cheapest place in the EU to buy a condo. And then I thought, you know what, maybe when I go to Chiang Mai, I'm going to be there for six months. Maybe I'll just buy a condo instead. And then I even started thinking about, well, you know, maybe it's time to buy something in the US, maybe something I can live in, I can rent out. And after, you know, kind of hearing about Chris's journey, it also kind of reminds me, people make it seem like such a kind of a a fun, exciting part of the American dream to buy a house. And a lot of people don't think, is it actually an investment or not, or if it's a liability. And let's talk about that more on the outro. I want you guys mm-hmm. to kind of hear it from Chris first. Uh, I think we're going to have some colorful commentary afterwards. Um, but let, let's bring, let's bring Chris on. Yeah, let's do it. Chris, do tell us how this whole thing's played out. Johnny catching the outro. Welcome back to invest like a boss. Today we have a story of a guy who got ripped off like a boss <laughs> on buying his first home. And now he's going to get a lawyer. So he tries to settle, not for a loss. Chris Harrison, welcome to the show. Hello, Sam. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Oh, man. Don't worry. My depression will come through loud and clear on this oh, boy, microphone. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Lad, enjoy yourself. Sit down. We have a candle lit. I have wine. You're welcome to help yourself. <laughs> We're sitting meditative style. So Chris and I have been talking for a couple of weeks now. He's been buying his own, you know, buying a new house. And... uh we did a uh, an episode last week with this guy Scott Smith talking about uh, protecting your your property investments, real estate investments. Right. And then your story emerged at the office, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" We were just talking about this stuff like what yesterday. Fortuitous timing. <laughs> yeah, for your podcast. Perfect. And uh, you are on the you're on the other side of it. So Scott was talking about what happens when people sell houses, and then there's problems. And now we have a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, dude, unwind. I would, I would be a buyer who <laughs> bought a house and now is having problems. Yeah. So. Tell us. Dude, tell uh, where do I begin? Uh, well, we decided on a, on a house. We like, I bought it with my girlfriend and we had been looking for a little while. We saw townhomes, other houses, Tampa, St. Pete. Uh, I really like St. Pete. So when the opportunity arose, we saw a place we liked in St. Pete and the price was good. It was a recently flipped home. Everything inside was updated. And, you know, the whole laundry list of this got redone, AC, water heater, floors, kitchen. Um, it just looked nice. It's a great, you know, first time home buyer. You, you don't want too much, but you also don't want to buy a fixer upper. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, awesome. The work's already been done. We'll move in. It'll be cozy. We'll start our new life down there, and it'll be so happy. <laughs> um, and you know, we everything went through fine. It's all in you know, it's all in my name. But we bought it together because mm-hmm. I had you know 
fortunate enough to have good credit and everything went through for me super easy. The process was so easy. I got a loan. Um, How much do you have to put down? I put down very little because of my, I had credit and I got uh, qualified for first time home buyer assistance. So is that 10% or? It was, uh, it was 5%. I believe. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. It's it like, was great. Yeah. I literally out of pocket. I think the ca- the cash to close was yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, it's yeah. okay. I yeah. think eleven hundred bucks. I mean, that's nothing. Yeah, that's a rent payment. So I was like, fine, awesome. But you could only do that because you had good credit. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I qualified at a one of the higher levels. Mm-hmm. You know, my credit's about eight hundred. So yeah. I don't want to brag, but yeah. it was eight hundred. God knows what's gonna happen after this. But yeah. I'm just kidding. But yeah. So uh, then we move in. And things start to go wrong. <laughs> uh, let's see. The uh, well, the first thing that kind of raised an eyebrow was we. My parents were sweet enough to give us a brand new washer and dryer as a housewarming gift. So I was excited. It's brand new. We haven't had one. You know, we've all we had a community washer dryer in our last place. So anyway, we we're excited to have. It. We set it up. I go to run the first dryer load and it starts it kept cutting off and then it was tripping the breaker outside so i get an electrician mm-hmm. he comes out and he goes oh man this is some uh this wiring this electric stuff this is kind of old this is a very vague you know nothing to i was like okay yeah and it's an older house but it's been redone so mm-hmm. everything's got to be up to code and mm-hmm. as it should be right uh he replaces a part you know paid him 200 bucks it was no big deal that happens. Fast forward to a few days later, my girlfriend and I, we'd made dinner. We just sat down to eat said dinner and we hear this popping and this bang and we look outside and the meter box and the electrical box has literally exploded. There's sparks. There's black smoke billowing out of the top of our house. <laughs> uh, we're freaking out. Uh, I'm thinking the house is going to burn to the ground. My girlfriend grabs the dog. We run outside. The neighbors heard it, and now they're outside. Oh, God. And they're thinking, oh, my God, do we call the fire department? And I, I didn't know what to do. I immediately called Duke Energy's emergency line, and uh, they were great. They came out within the hour. Luckily, the fire went out right away, and it just kind of continued to smoke for a little bit. But we didn't even have a hose at this point. So even if the house did catch on fire, mm-hmm. we would be at the the mercy of our neighbors to use their stuff but um so the the duke energy guys come out and these are these are not affiliated in any way with the homeowners or any i mean this is like you know you're getting a real opinion from a professional and he shows up and he just starts shaking his head and i think you know what what and he goes oh boy uh this should never have passed inspection this is a fire hazard obviously (laughs) because your house just almost burnt down (laughs) Uh, this is uh, extremely dangerous. I can't believe they let you move in. Um, this all needs to be replaced immediately. Uh, and then he says, I don't, I'm not comfortable turning the power on in your house tonight. I'm thinking, Oh, cool. So now I got to find somewhere to live until we can get all this replaced. (laughs) Right. So this is a bit of a nightmare. Luckily, they managed to, to find the parts, replace what they needed to make it safe for us to live in there. And, we managed to stay, but now I'm on like, you know, I'm on high alert. I'm very upset. I'm thinking, this guy said it shouldn't have passed inspection. So who's to blame here? What's right. going on? What did we miss? 
Now we've got a third opinion. Uh, a couple days ago, the electric company comes out to do an estimate. It's going to cost us 3500 bucks to get all upgraded uh, materials, a new box, a new meter, wires, make it safe and make it modern. I mean, right. there's more codes now than there were 50 years ago when the stuff was installed or mm-hmm. whatever, even 20 years ago. So it's worth it. But this is stuff we would have liked to have known prior to buying the house. Yeah. So we're getting that uh, replaced. And it's one of just a few issues that should have been caught early and would have affected our decision on purchasing and maybe negotiating with the sellers. Yeah. So So what else have you found in the house? You mentioned stuff like the toilet seat and the plumbing. Oh, yeah. Like um, so uh, there was an issue with the plumbing. Apparently that was overlooked and there was a buildup in the, in the pipe, in the ground, in the yard. Mm-hmm. We had to call a plumber out because the kitchen sink was backing up and the water wasn't draining properly. Mm-hmm. So then that spilled over into the dishwasher and then the dishwasher was overflowing all over our kitchen floor. <laughs> so, and I'm not kidding. This happened all within three days. And I believe uh, the electrical fire and the kitchen spillage were in the same night. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, kick us when we're down, why don't you? But uh, we had to call a plumber. He came out and kind of blasted out the pipe and cleared the the blockage. Mm -hmm. So that's okay, but there may be bigger issues that we don't even know of. Um, But so we'll get, you know, that'll happen later down the road. But also the we found... Uh, termite wings in the windowsill. <laughs> also things that uh, were overlooked during inspection. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're looking at potential future plumbing issues, a possible termite infestation that we're going to have to tent the house. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at thousands of more dollars to put into a house that was supposed to have already been fully renovated. Not to mention you almost... Uh, <laughs> ignited with the house yeah not to mention that we almost went up in flames and got barbecued so needless to say um not too pleased with this experience so what has happened with i mean obviously buying a house first time home buyers it's an overwhelming process more and more people are buying houses you know it's always said to be for the typical person it's the biggest investment they make in a lifetime big process right yeah and then you get in and you get it all buttoned up and you get in there and that shit happens. And it's like, it feels like you get kicked in the stomach, right? It was definitely a, uh, it really, it set, it'll set you back mentally. That's for sure. Um, and mainly because we, we did all the right things. It's not like we cut any corners. Um, we trusted people who were the professionals that we sought their opinion and their guidance mm-hmm. and it turns out they they were the ones cutting corners and not us, mm-hmm. which is why we're going to seek legal action. Right. Um, but again, I mean, we we got what we thought was a real inspection. Turns out it was just a visual inspection. I just found this out earlier speaking with my father mm-hmm. who did a little research. And well, that was at the request at the guidance of our realtor mm-hmm. who apparently knew this inspector now that we find out. So. That seems like a conflict of interest. Right. Um, we should have gotten a more thorough, you know, full on three hour plus inspection of the home. We got a 30 minute site 
yeah. inspection. Oh, what they call a four-point inspection, which is very standard, I guess. Yeah. And that's what they told us. Oh, that's all you need. This place is redone. Looks great. Mm. Okay, we're you know we're trusting you. Are you sure everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Yeah, I would do the same. I'd and then like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys are the experts. If you say it's good, yeah, of course. Exactly. Know. You trust people who that's their business. You know, if you come to my business, I'm gonna give you my expert knowledge on what I know. Yeah. What I get paid to do, and I'll do it honestly, unlike these right. people. But um, and then even the termite thing, they they mentioned. Oh, looks like there may have been an old, you know, there's old remnants of termite, but it's, this is so normal. You guys have nothing to worry about. And I was like, well, should we get a, a termite inspection? Said, well, you could, but he's just going to say the same thing we're saying and it'll cost you more money. You don't need to do that. And I thought, oh, well, okay. Turns out, it, I, I believe now that they recommended us not getting a termite inspection because if the bank caught wind of it, then they would delay the loan or yeah. even cancel the loan. Huh. So the realtor's thinking, I'm going to lose money if they do this. Right. So how did you find the realtor initially? I don't remember, actually, because we were dealing with a different realtor mm-hmm. and we weren't happy with her because... Oddly enough, we didn't think she was being honest with us. <laughs> <laughs> and so we found someone else and uh, we met with them first and had them show us a couple places. And I, my girlfriend and I agreed. We thought, well, these are these are better people. They're mm-hmm. nicer. We trust them. It was like a husband and wife team. Yeah. And, you know, kind of salt of the earth, like, you know, normal right. people. They weren't we didn't feel like they were trying to job us or anything. And we went with them, and in hindsight, and they may still be good people. I don't know. I, I'd love to give people the benefit of the doubt, but at this point, I'm a little sour about it. Right. Well, realtors, I've, I read an interesting story about them one time that was basically saying that they have zero incentive, next to zero incentive to get a higher price for the house. So if you're selling a house and someone offers, say you're selling a house for 350 and someone offers you 340 and you and you say no, I'm going to hold out for 370. The realtor is always going to try to just push you down to sell because the majority of their money, 95 percent of the money, is made in basically that base price. Mm-hmm. So they would rather sell it at 20 percent lower and just get it done quicker oh, yeah. versus having it sit on the market for any more time and trying to wait for an extra, you know, five percent increment or something. Right? Absolutely. So realtors all just about quick closing, right? That's exactly what she wants. You know, it's funny. A red flag should have been raised, and this is good for any of the other people out there listening that are trying to buy a house. If someone's trying to get you a quick close in a 15-day scenario, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what our realtor tried to do, and she recommended, again, someone she knew and trusted. I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, and the guy told me, and I didn't feel good about it, and he said, oh, I got you, man. I can do a 15-day close. We'll get this thing closed quick. Yeah. And my dad, thank God, said, no, don't, don't do that. You need at least 30 days. Too much can happen. You need all the proper inspections, et cetera. So I said, okay. And I did not use that mortgage guy. And our realtor seat was like visibly upset. She said, oh, you should have gone with my guy. I said, no, I have someone I trust more. She goes, okay, well, you know, it's up to you, but we like to use him because he's, we know him. He's available. 24. Yeah, yeah, He's the only exactly. person available seven He's days so a week. He's so easy yeah. to work with. Okay. You know, you're going to hear these terms. Oh, they're so easy to work with. Well, you don't necessarily want easy. You want people that are going to do it right. Right. And if it takes longer, 40 days, 45 and thorough, do it. I've been going through the same thing as I was looking at building a house up in northern Georgia. 
And I think that the realtors can really just, they just smell. And it's like a financial advisor. They can smell it when you walk in the door. Yep. This guy's a first time buyer. <laughs> yeah. And I know they, you know, they test a little bit of the, the internal industry language with you. And then they see a little bit of a hesitation in your eyes and they know they have somebody there and they can push lenders on them. They can push all these different types of terms. They can do fast closing. So it, it, you really need someone to, to walk you through this process and to show expertise on your side, I think, because, and the U.S. is a, it's a dog eat dog world, dude. It is. It's greed. Like, it's greed. And I know you, like, you have a really interesting story and you traveled a lot before you got to Tampa, as did I. And, uh, man, this country, it's a good country for opportunity and making money, but it will eat you alive. Absolutely. Like, you'll get turned upside down in so many ways. And, um, I really feel like, you know, I'm a capitalist, but capitalism kills culture. Yeah. It really does. And all the places that we've been internationally, and it's it's more trusting environments. And yeah. I think that's what happens is like when you're abroad and you come back and you just want to you want to take people out what they say, they're going to do a good job. It's, you know, it's it's their word is their bond. Right. You get back here and people just eat you up. Yeah. They just the they're just ethics pushing and morality in business here. Yeah. Typically are I mean, it's vacant so man what are you like actually take us back to the the home buying process just give us the the summary of you see a house yeah you know i've learned a lot i've learned quite a bit i literally started at zero i knew nothing Mm -hmm. i didn't know how any of this worked um so i guess to get a house you you know if you're gonna be um you can either go it alone or you can get a realtor we got a realtor um and they'll show you places um, if you see a place you like, you put in an offer, you find a lender uh, or bank or whomever, and they're going to give you a pre-qualification. Um, and that basically says, you know, on paper, without doing, you know, too much investigating, we agree that you qualify to get this much of a loan. And then the process starts. So once you're under contract with the seller and you agree to terms, on a you know final price that's when all the inspecting goes down mm-hmm. and you know you do your due diligence as far as making sure that there's nothing really wrong with the house yeah which is what we thought we had done under the advisement of you know the realtor and who connected you to all these who connected experts. us to the quote unquote experts yeah. who really were just their shady friends i guess yeah. or and they may not be bad people they may just be lazy yeah. I don't know, but I'd but, rather have someone thorough and kind of a jerk than a nice, lazy person. Well, if it's a house flipper that built the house and was flipping it, he's probably got a whole slew of people he works with just to get things done quick oh. and, and, you know, breeze over everything. Yep. So, I'm finding that out now. Yeah. Apparently, there may not have even been permits to do the work in the house. So if we catch that, my legal process will be much easier. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of legal process, this is all new to you as well. Uh, yeah. This, I'm in the early stages of, of acquiring um, legal representation for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got people um, in, that I trust that are connected and that are going to hook me up with a real estate attorney. And, you know, basically just you got you got basic rights as mm-hmm. a as a buyer and a homeowner. And, you know, it. On paper, it just looks like we are so taken advantage of yeah. as first-time home buyers. And uh, you know, if you if you want to know how it really feels uh, on the way to work this morning, 
I was shouting loudly in my car just to vent. Um, and oh, and to add the cherry on top, my car got broken into at our new house. So <laughs> there's not a lot of warm, happy feelings right now with this new house. Oh my God. I hope one day that it will, but right now it just, I look at this place and it just looks like a burden. Oh God. Just so- anger, angry. Yeah. <laughs> So what happened with the car break-in? So this is all like in the first week. This basically. is literally in the first week of home ownership. <laughs> like I could write a beautiful op-ed piece for like a real estate magazine or do this wonderful podcast yeah. and share and vent and, you know, <laughs> advise others. But so you have some nice neighbors then. Uh, I don't, yeah, I think it, I hope, I'm hoping it was just some punk kids. They literally, they just stole some change out of my center console and maybe I had like five bucks in there and they stole my sunglasses and a flashlight and a little a utility knife. Oh, it's so violent. They left me my golf clubs, which I'm very thankful. So either they're broke and can't play golf or they're too small to carry the clubs or, or they just think golf sucks. Or, like, yeah, Screw this. or they didn't realize like golf clubs are valuable and they could have pawned them and made yeah. more money to buy drugs or whatever the reason. But I'm pretty sure anyone who breaks into a car is either a kid or a meth head. Yeah. Like, and that's probably consistent across the world. It was one of the two. It was the one of the two. I see a lot of little punks riding their bikes around, you yeah. know, so. But still, that's like a once in a, that's once in a 20 year period. Like, I think my car, my parents' cars at home got broken to once in maybe 20 years. Yeah. So when it happens the first week, yeah, I've oh. never. Uh, it's it's not a good feeling. I don't. I don't think I've ever been broken into before ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm thirty thirty five now, and I've never been robbed. So that was a very that was a weird feeling. I feel very violated. Oh man. So so you moved in with your girlfriend. Obviously, that's got to be tough on both of you, right? Especially your cars get broken into. That makes yeah. her uncomfortable. As you start looking at this house, like yeah. Like, I don't even want to be there. Yeah, know. safety things, and it you know it it causes a strain in a relationship because you're both upset. There's now you've got money pressure. You you want to enjoy it, you know. You just you're just so excited because you just got a house, and you haven't been able we haven't been able to really be happy and enjoy it yet. It's been one thing after another. Um, it's honestly it's just a li- it's our it's worst case scenario. It's a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I think that maybe could have been worse as if like the house burned down and killed the dog like that is that would be the lowest so like what what happens with you go back to the house now you're like wow the house needs x y and z but you're about to get into a legal process so you don't want to go invest like five grand into updating things and you mentioned the toilet seat was up the toilet seat (laughs) (laughs) well a part of their it, the people that renovated the house, they skimmed on a few of the the appliances. I mean, they definitely bought them with a barrel and used some cheap materials. Like mm-hmm. the toilet seat was this flimsy plastic, like something you would sit on at like a McDonald's or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you could literally bend it. And so I got rid of it. We threw that in the trash and I went and bought a new nice <laughs> solid white wood <laughs> You know, totally cooling, yeah. cooling, cooling gel. No slam <laughs> for the lid. bosom. Yeah, you know, well, your girlfriend's got to be happy with that. Yeah, nice she solid was, toilet yeah. seat. She's you know, happy with that. So yeah. I replaced that. Bought new locks for the doors that are newer and updated. That weren't flimsy and 
<laughs> couldn't slide <laughs> your ID through and double and down on security. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, I did that before the the car got broken into. So <laughs> now, now we're going to, to ADT for security. Yeah, I mean, I I laughed the other day because the ADT security guy showed up at like the worst time after the electrical fire, and I'm like, oh, we're man. not getting that security. Now I'm thinking, well, hell, maybe we should get the security. Maybe he was the guy. He came. Then he broke he into your cars, and now it. he'll be back next yeah. week. Be like, hey, uh, just check his DVD yeah. security. Left, you know, they left like all a bunch of important stuff in my Jeep, and literally just took change and a flashlight and sunglasses. Oh man! So what's the process with the attorneys? Because I'm interest. This is like what we were talking about on last episode. Ninety five percent of people that invest in the U S. in real estate over the course of twenty years get a lawsuit. So the guy's saying was. It's not if you're going to get sued, it's when. It's when. This guy is about to get sued, right? Yeah. Like, so this is the real life example of it. And what, like, what are you looking, you're just looking for legal counsel at the time or do you say, are you want to get out of the house or? No, we don't necessarily want to get out of the house. We want, we want them to make it right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, I'm not greedy. I'm not going to be like, give me a hundred thousand dollars and I'll make this go. No, we want them to pay for what should have already been done. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I think the tab's like somewhere over $4,000 that we've paid on stuff that should have already been taken care of. Um, we would like them to pay for that. And, um, obviously we want them to pay for the attorney fees because we wouldn't have to get an attorney if it weren't for them. And we want them to be held accountable. We want the people who were, uh, the realtor, the inspector, the, the investment group who flipped the house. We want all of them to be held accountable with whether it be like marks on their records or suspensions of licenses or yeah. whatever. These are things that we're going to discuss with an attorney. And, you know, I'm not a crazy person. I'm, I'm fair. Like I'm reasonable. I'm not like an evil, you know, I'm a normal dude. I just want, I want them to understand that like, you can't do this. Yeah. Like I don't want the next person behind me to go through what we went through. Yeah, it's more like the stink of the mess that it starts you like you buy a new home. Like what was the reason you bought the new home, bought a home instead of renting? Well, we figured like anyone else you buy a house and it it's kind of an investment. You know, you hope it increases in value, you hang on to it for a few years, we're either going to rent it out eventually or sell it, make a little money mm-hmm. and then move on to another better, newer, yeah. nicer. You know, that's yeah. kind of the American way that's the american dream you know instead of renting and wasting money on rent allegedly which now seems great (laughs) but uh, you own your own place it's like you know you've made it you own a house in america in florida yeah but also like you would sort of assume that would be a bonus for relationship you have a cozy home it's your home and and then you move in it's like now you have this it's almost like the money in that scenario is insignificant. It's a principle of like, look, you just sold me a home and it's made a mess of my life. Yeah. And now I got two months of bullshit dealing with fires and all these authorities and bill pay and, you know, and it's straining my relationship, I'm sure, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I mean it's caused tension. It hasn't, you know, we haven't, like I said, I was vague, but I mean, you can read between the lines. It just, there hasn't been a lot of joy in the house. Um, <laughs> So, do you guys watch TV anymore together? I mean, that's about it. It's, a, it's me staring at the wall and counting the <laughs> counting the dollars that are going out of my bank account, and her trying not to punch me in the face, probably. So, but you know, hopefully it'll will be better for it, and this is a huge learning experience. Yeah. So let's go into some of the the I'd do different next times. 
from what I gather, the first thing I can think of immediately off the top of my head, which might not be true in every case, but it seems to make sense. Maybe don't buy a house from a flipper. Yeah, I would say um, that good or bad, the you know investment group that flipped the house, I think ha- the first thing I would do different is get my own inspector, mm-hmm. my own home inspector to do a more thorough you know, three hour. I, I didn't understand that what I got wasn't a real inspection because I wasn't advised to do so. They mm-hmm. said, all you need is a four point inspection with the wind mitigation to make sure the roof's not going to fly off in a hurricane. And who told you that? Uh, my realtor. Realtor. All right. So in that case, I should have said, okay, we'll get a four point and then we'll also get a more thorough inspection from someone that you don't know so you would just basically look up online or get a recommendation from a friend if someone has done a good Absolutely. job and, and then they and not I'll, use the realtor's choice right 100 percent. that's the first I mean, and that would have probably prevented a lot of these issues because had we known that there was going to be so much work needed to be done mm-hmm. we would have said all right well if the sellers agree to pay for all that then yeah we'll we'll go move forward mm-hmm. Um, but they probably wouldn't have, and then we would have moved on and looked at something else. Yeah. And then we would have avoided all this, right. but I would have definitely been more, um, proactive in my independent hiring of people to do inspections. That is a huge, I mean, I never again, the next time I do anything, buying anything, mm-hmm. I'm going to get my own people. Yeah. Okay. So I think a big, there's a big narrative in just not trusting the realtor to recommend people unless you know that realtor really, really well. Yeah, unless and it's trust like that your family member, like yeah. your best friend from childhood. Yeah. And like this person would definitely yeah. never do me wrong. Because there are probably, I mean, obviously there's payments to all these inspectors. They're probably not only incentivized to use those inspectors because they're getting kickbacks, but they're mm-hmm. also probably working some larger scheme with them like hey let's close fast and move on to the next house type of thing yeah i i i definitely think that's that's going on all right what other takeaways what would you do differently going into the next house anything with the mortgage or the mortgage process was actually great um i i had a really nice experience with my loan officer it was through a recommendation from a family member. So mm-hmm. we were very well taken care of. They were honest. They were th- so thorough. Um, even when we showed up to closing, the person with the title company who had to go through all the papers said, wow, this is so organized. You have every, this is, looks great. Um, we were never, I never had any issues with the mortgage process, mm-hmm. which I know some people probably have a nightmare with that. Mine wasn't the mortgage process at all. Um, I would I would probably use them again. Okay. And how much of a decision like I know my sis I don't know that many people with mortgage that I've actually talked to about the price and etc. But I know my sister and her husband when they looked at buying first renting, the mortgage came out to be like fifteen percent cheaper a month than renting. So that was really the majority of their decision was we can grow some equity, have basically the same payments. What was, was that part of your decision as well? Absolutely. So for what we have, we, um, we went from a one bedroom that was not even 600 square feet and paid a thousand a month in rent Mm -hmm. for that to now we have more than double the space and it's our own place and we pay 400 extra dollars for it. And Mm -hmm. we have a big backyard, you know, place for the dog to run. So absolutely that was a huge incentive to buy 
our monthly expenses were supposed to go down. Yeah. <laughs> so as of yet, they have not. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Any other uh, takeaways or advice based on your experience? You're going to keep the house, if you, uh, assuming. Yeah, everything. we're going to keep it. Um, you know, we're in it for for now. We're going to keep it. I mean, things could change. But my biggest uh, takeaway is just trust your gut. There's so many times where I had this gut feeling like something was a little off. But because I didn't know what I was doing and I hadn't done it before, I was trusting the people that were supposed to be the professionals. Right. I would 100% trust my instincts and go that extra step get that extra inspector, hire someone else. Even if it costs you hundreds of dollars, it's so worth it because now I'm thousands of dollars uh, in regret for not doing that. Right. So, I would say too, just hearing from your experience, don't rush. The whole process with realtors, mortgage lenders, everything is to rush people just to get through it and close. Yep. There's no reason for them to drag it out. They want to make things happen quick and they, you know, realtors build that in. Oh, there's a lot of interest on this home. Oh, since you've been looking at it, a couple other people have been looking at it. We should, yeah. get, a, we should get a bit in quick. You know, we need Create to close urgency. Quick. Absolutely. Panic. Urgency, right? And people buy into that. And then the second thing too is once you start getting realtors involved, you go see four or five houses, you talk to them for a few days, you sort of have this natural tendency to feel obligated to move on, yeah. move on things, right? Yeah. And don't, you know, don't feel that. That's their job. And if you need to take it slow, take your time because that is going to be the biggest investment for most people's yeah. life. There's no reason to try to make it happen in 15 days, right? 100%. So good experience, man. Sorry about the, the mishaps. I think in the end, like these things, if you can grow with them, it's your first home, right? You're probably yeah. going to buy two or three or four more homes in your lifetime. It's so much better to have it on your first starter home and learn the hard way. Yep. And take that with you so you don't have that experience on your next million dollar home when you're moving with your family and then you have like real problems, right? Exactly. So good experience. Thanks for coming on and sharing. I think it's really valuable for so many of the listeners, especially people even like myself, never bought a first home before. Yeah. I would just rush through that shit and be like, oh, I see the property. Right. Oh, I got to get a bid in. Someone right. else is hot on it, man. Yeah. Let's move. Let's move. Let's close. Yeah. Take so, your time. Yeah. Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. All right, man. Well, be interested to keep keep up with you on the yeah, process. Hopefully, I got to follow up with a yeah. you know the the sunny side of this. Let's go story. find some shark attorney and do some work. Yeah, exactly. I got a good one for you. Actually, <laughs> I've met him. Uh, he runs a kickboxing gym, and he's also a trial attorney. Perfect. Maybe it'll work. All right. All right, dude. Catch you later, man. All right. Thank you. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Lots to unpack in the outro and the commentary. But first, I want to. Uh, give a quick thank you to one of the best comments we've gotten so far on the Invest Like a Boss podcast iTunes store. Steve Kang says, most epic podcast ever, five stars. This is one of the most epic podcasts on personal finance. I've been looking for something like this for several years. Sam and Johnny take the definition of a transparency about money to a whole new level. I love it. And the week that I found you guys... They've covered almost every investment strategy that I've been working on for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. Highlights, number one, podcast format is very well organized. It's consistent every time. Sam and Johnny provide their takeaways after every interview. They're very genuine. And many experiences that they share are actionable immediately. It feels like they're investing their money right alongside of you and you will learn something on every episode. 
It doesn't matter if you're 18 years old or 80 years old, you will learn something every time. Sam, one of the best interviewers I've heard in a very long time. Johnny, a straight shooter when it comes to sharing the amount of cash he's investing. Keep up the good work, guys. See you in the boss lounge. And also the amount of money that he's not able to access while he's in the Ukraine traveling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's almost like a forced savings account. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And shout out to Steve Kang because he's also really active in the Boss Lounge, adding a lot of value to different threads and creating some of his own. So we love that stuff. Boss Lounge continues to get better and better. So be sure to check it out if you guys haven't. Yeah, so join it on our Facebook group. Just go to investlikeaboss.com. Click on bonus. You can find it there. Also, if you haven't left a review yet, please do so on the iTunes store. It helps us get more bosses and I think if anything, it uh, kind of inflates Sam and and my, my ego. That you guys are actually listening. You guys enjoying the show. Hopefully, it'll inflate our wallets at some point. But right now, it's just a big <laughs> hole. <laughs> but you know what? It's like it's, a boat. <laughs> if anything, it's an excuse for us to chat every week. And, yeah. You know, so it's been fun. Yeah, uh, ha- absolutely. And if anything, I think that by us talking about our investments and making the investments and being able to ask these experts the questions that we want before investing, we've – it's almost like we've hired – we've created the best, like, you know f- – uh, financial planner mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. Well, we need to do an episode. We've been talking about it for a while, like on our top 10 investing mistakes, because there's a lot of them and we sprinkle them in here and there in different episodes, but we've never done something that's actually aggregated all of them. It's amazing how many mistakes were made early on, which is a big driver into actually us starting this podcast. <laughs> Fortunately, and thanks to all the listeners and all the guests that we've had on the show that we've made a lot less sense. You know, we have a lot of investments now that we don't know how we're going to play out. So they, they could be problematic or, or mistakes in the future. Who knows? But I would definitely say over the last two years, it's been much, much smoother than any time before that. <laughs> and definitely with your portfolio. I remember the first 80 episodes, there was a different mistake in every single episode that you brought up. <laughs> well, you know, I think you learn through experience more than reading or listening. So I try to, I try to make as many many investments as I can manage early on to take that experience from a a relatively young age through the rest of my life. And I think that'll pay massive dividends uh, over the course of the next 30, 40 years. Well, you mentioned to Chris that you haven't bought your first house yet, but you technically have. You bought a couple condos in Thailand. Do you think those counted? Yeah, let's talk about that because that's something I was thinking about. I think buying someplace domestically and someplace foreign is somewhat different because I think there's a lot more litigation risk, um, there's also a lot more operating expenses to owning a home in the U.S. So to give the listeners an example, I priced a lot of different condos in states like well, pretty much anywhere. It's going to work out almost the same. But let's just say Texas, Colorado, Florida, for example. I priced like a $500,000 condo. You would have HOA fees, insurance. You would have uh, property taxes, of course, right? So you're looking at close to $15,000 a year just that, that sunk cost, right? That's going to HOA insurance and that's going to taxes. And in a lot of foreign countries abroad, you don't have at least the tax component of that. Uh, especially in my places in Thailand, I, when I, I kid you not, they cost me about $40 a month. So let's just say $500 a year to hold that property. So I'm not there for the entire year. I don't really sweat it, right? And also like things like maintenance and repair, obviously we heard on this episode, you know, small things can get really expensive even on a, on a starter home. So things in, in Thailand or other countries of, of, uh, 
the economic level are going to be just a lot less expensive to go fix things and maintenance things. So, um, so yeah, I own those and I love them all, but I, th- I have a feeling that owning a place in the U S would be vastly different. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, just the cost of labor alone is insane in the U.S. I mean, you're, you know, you're talking 60 to $80 an hour for, for anyone to come, mm. you know, do anything while in Thailand labor is almost free. So you can have someone come do plumbing or whatever you need and it's not going to cost you very much. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. So I'm, I've been looking at building a home in Northern Georgia and the, to, per square foot, and this is sort of new language to me, but per square foot, it's uh, about $200 to build. So if you say it's going to be uh, a thousand square foot place, you're looking at 200,000, a 2000 square foot place, which is not a big home. It's kind of, I would say your average middle class home, maybe 2000 to 2500 square feet. That's four, that's over 400,000 just to build. But then you need, you got your lot and you have all these different accessories and stuff. So, you know, you to build a, a, an average almost starter home, you're looking at half a million bucks, um, in, in certain places, right? If you go to Midwest and different places like that, you can build a lot cheaper. But, uh, this particular place I was trying to build, that's, that's expensive, man. That's really expensive. Yeah. So did Chris mention how much th- that house was? Cause it seemed like the mortgage payments were pretty low. Yeah. I think it's in the high one hundreds. It's a small house. It's like a two, two, one, um, like a 1950s kind of old Florida cottage style house. And it's just like, it's just your typical kind of starter home, right? You know, I think that's pretty cool to be able to even get a house for, you know, a hundred, 150 grand or something. Because if that was possible in California or in Austin, I probably would own a home by now. Not possible at all in California. Yet. <laughs> Especially not anywhere I would want to live in California, like San Diego or, you know, anywhere yeah. kind of near LA, Orange County. And I, th- and I think I'm almost kind of lucky that it wasn't possible for under 200 grand or I probably would have owned a starter home by now. And who knows? I might be, you know, swimming in a mess of problems, uh, or kind of just, you know, f- just tied down. So th- my buddy just, was living in a house in San Diego for anyone that knows San Diego Pacific Beach. It was a beater, three bedroom, two bath. It couldn't have been bigger than 2000 square feet. And it was a teardown. I stayed with him a few times out there. The, the lot size was decent. It wasn't, it was maybe three to four blocks from the beach, probably four blocks from the beach. They just sold the house. So now he has to move out because he was renting. They sold it for $1.3 million. I mean, that is insane, right? I don't know. Even the problem is, is like you buy that house, then you have to pay like twenty thousand dollars a year in tax just to just to own it. You're just throwing away twenty thousand, right? So the prices have gotten out of control there. But when you you know you're gonna get you're gonna get to a certain degree, you're gonna get what you're gonna pay for, right? When you buy a hundred and sixty thousand dollar house that's been put up by a flipper, you know it's it's gonna have it. It's probably gonna have its share of problems, and I think that's one of the big takeaways from this episode. Even if you look at like the toilet seat that Chris was talking about, it was like a a, a three dollar toilet seat. You just had to like rip it off and <laughs> throw it away. You're gonna find all these little these little cheap uh, you know accessories and yeah. all types of holes. And I think that's a big point of this episode. So I actually I'm a little bit on the on the side of the the house flipper, not in his case of kind of uh, you know hiding things and kind of ripping them off. But I actually think that overall uh, house investors or even flippers are good for the economy where they take, mm-hmm. you know, the crappiest looking house on the block 
and they basically paint over it. You know, they're not mm-hmm. going to invest a lot of money into infrastructure or into the best quality materials. But what they do is they basically put lipstick on the pig and make that house look nice, at least from outside. They sell it and that, you know, basically takes a crappy dump, you know, in the middle of a neighborhood to a nice looking place. They get someone in. Sometimes that person ends up having to, you know, spend more money to actually make it comfortable, but Mm -hmm. it brings up the, the whole neighborhood. So I think it's our responsibility to go and do extra due diligence and make sure that they didn't cover anything up like bad electrical or, you know, they didn't take any too many shortcuts. But to be honest, I'm willing to bet that flipper, you know, and, you know, hopefully I'm wrong. So in this case, he can sue and get some money back. But I think in general, flippers kind of just go in and they don't, they try not to dig too deep. They're just like, let's just put some, you know, make this place look nice uh, on the outside. We'll get someone in and let them deal with it. I agree totally. I think that was a good point about the flippers and cleaning up neighborhoods and that it really comes down to the due diligence. Anytime you're buying something, you're buying a house, you're buying a business. Um, when we sold, when we sold SkySig, dude, you would have thought we were selling Exxon Mobil. 14,000 pages of documents we had to, to furnish to the company. And they spent six months going through everything with a fine tooth comb, making sure they knew exactly what they're buying and that they cover their downside if anything is not as we said it was, right? So there's very detailed processes and how to manage these things. Home buying is no different. I think the issue here was that, um, like you said, the flipper is going to have a set, especially a flipper with any scale, is going to have set processes that say, okay, we're going to buy this house. It's a numbers game. We can buy this house for 130. We can put 20 into it. We can flip it for 175, right? He's probably not that hands-on with it. He has teams that he works with rehab teams, realtors, et cetera. He might not have even ever visited that property, right? He just he just wires the money, manages it from a high level, might not ever be on, on site. So he might very well be a great guy. The, the people that went in and did the work might be good people and thought they did a good service, but they overlooked stuff. That's where it comes down to the DD and then making sure that anything that happens is somehow covered in a guarantee. Um, you know, it's, 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 it sucks that Chris is in this mess. But I think the worst part of this is that is just maybe not even the financial burn. It's the legal mess. And you don't want to move into a starter home where you're moving in with your girlfriend, you're starting sort of a new chapter in your life. And then you're underwater with this, this legal mess, right? You're in a house that doesn't make you feel that good to be in it because you're reminded of all this crap that you got to deal with for it. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I could see that being a strain on any relationship, but I, you know, not knowing that these two guys, I feel like if they make it through this, it'll be better for the relationship. Or if they don't, they weren't meant to be together anyways. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Relationships fall apart from this stuff. Finance is probably the biggest reason that finance uh, that relationships break apart. I don't have any any uh, actual (laughs) definite proof of that, but it's got to be a big one. And this would definitely fall under the finance umbrella. So hopefully it's, it's not too big of an issue. Hopefully there's not a big lawsuit and this thing doesn't get dragged out. I hope it can be, be solved amicably, but dude, if that termite thing turns out to be a real thing, and in the next month, they got to tent their house. I guarantee that's that's going to be a deal killer. Yeah, that's going to suck. You know what's crazy to me about buying houses is the fact that we, you kind of just buy them like without 
really testing them out. Like you would think that in this day and age, it'd be normal to be able to rent the house and live there for a few days, you know, and then kind of decide like, yes, is this, is this somewhere I want to live? Even if you just bring in like an air mattress and say, come on, like, let me just give me the key. Let me like take a shower here for two, you know, cook, like cook, make sure, make sure this place is somewhere I want to be because like tons of people buy houses you know, when they've only been there during the daytime, they have no idea how loud it is at night or how crazy it gets on, on the weekends. And it, it's a huge, huge investment, a huge gamble. And it's insane that there's no, you know, there's no like refund policy and there's no like test period either. Oh my God, dude, you hit it right on the head. So I have a, a quick 60 second business pitch that I want to, I want to give you and the boss listeners because <laughs> okay. I want someone to do this business because it'll make life a lot better for me and you. Millennials and including, oh, I'm a millennial by like two years. We're going to have huge issues with sleep. I guarantee everyone's going to go through bouts of insomnia going forward. And it's people are going to wonder, how do, how do you fall asleep? Because there's just overstimulation from phones and laptops, and it's just going to get technologies going to be in our face more and more. It's going to be almost impossible to shut down. So I've become super sensitive to noise to the point that like if there's noise and I know there's going to be noise, I can't fall asleep because there's anxiety. So right now in Tampa, I have, there's barking dogs about six units down from me because the acoustics in this industrial style complex that I'm in are so bad you can hear the dogs barking and they bark at like midnight, 6 a.m., like the worst times. So I was thinking exactly like you, there ought to be a way to test a place. You go rent a place, you should be able to spend the night there, right? But what you could do is you could manufacture these little like noise detectors that are like the size of a, a, a pack of Tic Tacs. And you just go put one in every room and then you allow that to sit there all night and record different frequencies of noises um, so this works if you're renting or you're buying and it would be able to detect that type of noise, like, you know, loud music next door, trains, planes. Uh, my sister's living in San Diego in Point Loma and the planes start flying over at 6 AM in the morning and the last one's at midnight and it, she's right in the flight path. So they've, they've gotten assimilated to it, but it's like, that's really disturbing to sleep, right? Who wants to wake up every morning at 6 AM? So I think there's a business in that. And I think that as time goes on, this is going to be a bigger and bigger issue. Noise levels of of cities and also people having more trouble to sleep. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And I, and I see somebody making that product. I think for now, I mean, I would just do it the old school way. I would just bring my sleeping bag, sleep on the porch, <laughs> you know, and just be like, yeah, I'm looking into buying this house. <laughs> Staking it out. Yeah. Coffee, donuts, sitting outside the front lawn. Yeah. I mean, I'll just like, I'll literally just camp on the front lawn, front lawn and just be like, hey, look. If I'm gonna, you know, be signing a 30-year mortgage on this place, I'm gonna spend two or three days to scope it out at night. And I think that's the other side of this is like, okay, the noise level is a big one, but then there's the dodgy fellows. That's a big concern. And I think of this whole thing with Chris, the thing that would bother me the most would definitely be the car theft, because that is a that's that's not comfortable, right? You don't know who that is. You don't know if they're gonna go into your house next. Um, but that type of event should not happen more than like once, once a decade, right? Um, everyone's probably had their car broken into at some point in life, whether it's college or sitting in a Walmart parking lot. But when it happens in your driveway on your property, super, super violating. I don't care if it was kids or a crackhead, but that would make me really unnerved and would make me have a lot of concerns about the general neighborhood. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can, I, I, I think like when someone messes with someone's car, 
whether they key it or they break in, it's it, it like really is violating. Like it's Ugh. it just shouldn't it just shouldn't happen. And I'm glad I'm not in that situation. I hope that Chris figures it out. But I think we've all learned a lot of lessons from this experience. I think it could have been even worse. Hopefully, uh, you know, this is all that <laughs> that's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But it it does sound like you know when people you know people take advantage of of first time home buyers. Sure. And if it's it's one of those things where I honestly I'm not looking forward to buying a house and if when I if and when I do, I don't need people to say congratulations because mm-hmm. it's funny that, you know, when you go out and buy something, it's like it's time for people to like celebrate and congratulate you. Anybody can buy a house. You just go out and spend money. <laughs> and like if you I really believe that you're buying at least, you know, According to Rich Dad Poor Dad, you're buying a liability, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's worth it to have peace of mind, to have a place you know you can, you know, you'll have thirty years that the rent's not going to go up, um, a place that you can start a family. But financially, buying a house to live in is never an investment. Yeah, that's a good point. And there's a lot of people mix that up, and there's a lot of blogs and financial models out there that sh- sh- clearly state how. It's not a good financial decision to buy a house, but if you get if you have a home and it makes your family life better and it and it brings some some general satisfaction or ease, peace of mind, then it's then it's a good decision for you. It depends on where you are. Everyone has to make that decision for themselves. Just to give you an example, my parents bought their house for one hundred and thirty thousand dollars about thirty years ago. They just sold it for about four forty. So of course that felt like a huge you know, a huge win. That's all capital gains. But if you think about it, if they put 130,000 in the S&P 500 30 years ago, it would have grown to at least the same amount, right? So Rich, uh, everyone can go back to the episode with Harry Dent and he talks about how real estate doesn't really appreciate more than inflation over the course of time. Of course, you get some pockets like San Francisco that just go absolutely insane. But for the average house, it doesn't. Even in San Francisco, my parents bought their house 30 years ago, 130 grand. Now it's worth almost a million. So wow, you, yeah. So you would think, wow, that's amazing. And then I asked my parents, I'm like, uh, how much did you put in total, including mortgage payments and interest, you know, and you know, property tax? And they're like, I don't know, maintenance, yeah, you know, like, and they're like, we never calculated any of that. I am willing to bet that even in San Francisco, even in their ideal situation where it's gone up seven times, like seven hundred, you know, uh, times or yeah, by 700% or whatever it is. If you calculate in how much they've actually spent on interest, how much they spent on property tax, not even including maintenance and upgrades and things like that, it, it would probably be exactly the same as yeah. if they had put it in an in index fund. It's probably about 10% a year. Maximum. That's a really good point. Yeah, because when you own something, you tend to take better care of it. And so people that own their house, I mean, my parents were putting in two, three, four thousand dollars to the house every year, just fixing it up, adding a little accessory, doing some lawn keeping. So when you actually add up all that stuff, the money definitely would have been better in the S&P 500. But then again, family life might not have been as good. They might not have enjoyed paying rent to someone for 30 years when they're starting a family. So decision for everyone to make. But right now, the average mortgage across the U.S. is about six years long. So people are getting into a house and getting out of it in six years. That short of time, you and I are not going to be average, Johnny. I promise you, we're not staying in a house for six years. 
that short a time does not justify buying a house. You're probably going to lose, especially after you pay realtor fees and stuff. If you're going to buy a house for 30 years, yeah. it probably makes more sense. So on the, the topic of the system being outdated, it is ridiculous to have to pay, you know, what is it, three to five, six percent in realtor fees or closing costs. Mm. Real estate agents should not be involved as they are today in 2018. I think it's an outdated model. I think it needs to be squashed. I actually, I have my cousins a real, you know, real estate agent and I have friends that are. So I know they're good people. I like, you know, I like them, you know, but the actual model itself, it is ridiculous to have to pay someone even 3% to buy a house. Like we can look at, we can look at houses online nowadays. You know, I understand if people need to be driven around or, you know, to host an open house, but it, it's a broken model. I, oh, I, for sure. Someone needs to disturb, like, disrupt that industry. It, it will be. Zillow, you can see most houses on Zillow now, it seems like. I think what would make more sense, instead of going and seeing a house with a realtor whose only incentive is to sell that house as quickly as possible and move on and stop talking to the original person they're dealing with, is instead you go view a house with, say, a property manager, someone that really knows the inside of a house that's fresh. They can go into the house you pay them, let's say you pay a property manager three, four hundred dollars. You go see three, four houses in the course of three or four hours, right? You look at everyone, he goes through the house, inspects it, tells you what looks good, what looks bad, what needs to be replaced. He's got zero incentive to actually sell that house. He just wants to make sure that you know what you're buying. And then you can go in and make offers like that versus a realtor who's just there, wants you to buy something and pushes you along this process that especially for first-time home buyers, is often going to take advantage of them. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think actually it's a bit unfair to the to realtors or real estate agents. And first off, even that term realtor, where people think it makes them you know this like magical um, qualified person, a realtor is just an association, real estate agent, realtor, patty certified, whatever you know, whatever mm-hmm. you are, like it's 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 a job. And I actually think that it's a bit unfair because. Like the reason why they have to push you to close so so quickly is they might go three months without any income because it takes that long sometimes for people to you know to go through that process of buying a house and for it to close mm-hmm. that's that's a big reason why they want you to close it quicker. I think what we should do is instead of you know giving someone three percent, which is outrageous, if anything, I think we should just pay them hourly and then maybe when they buy the house, you give them one percent so you know, yeah. whether it's twenty dollars an hour that you're paying them, so they can take your t- their time, show you as many places as you want, you know, give you you know, uh, give you advice, and then when it closes, yeah, they get a nice little bonus. But I'm not paying three percent. I like it. What other learnings and takeaways do you have from this episode? Hearing Chris's story about buying a first starter home. So the, probably the biggest takeaway that I I wouldn't even have even thought of is that that basic four point inspection is not enough. That you need to have mm. someone really dig in deep. Uh, if anything, you know, I feel like if I was going to buy a house, I would buy it as an investment property that I happen to have the option to live in. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't even think of it as a house, you know, to make home to get emotions involved. And, you know, like oh, it looks pretty. You know, it looks like it has new floors or new new countertop. I would first try to see if it made sense as an investment property if I rented it out and then I have the option to live there myself. And that way you do more due diligence. You have people come in and kind of look at it from like a financial point of view. How much is, is this going to cost me? You know, am I going to need to change things out? Um, 
And I, yeah, I think that when that day happens, because I, I think eventually it will, um, learning from the mistake of Chris and other people, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend a bit more money up front to make sure the place is, is gonna be good and know what my costs are gonna be for the next year or two before I go in. Absolutely. There's that episode that we recently did, guys, on Airbnb for investment properties. You guys can check that out. Kind of goes into what Johnny was just talking about as an investment property. Uh, and we were we were pretty hot on that for a while. And the more time I spent in the U.S., I'm like, mm, I don't know if I want to do stuff like that. And then you know, the Airbnb model goes back to the previous episode talking about different liabilities and stuff. And how much more liability do you have if you're renting out to 50 people a year versus one. So that's something to, to, be, to be considered. I, I would say just my big takeaway is don't let, don't let the process be rushed because it's very easy to try to move things quickly along in a process where you find a house that you like and it, the realtor's making it sound, or maybe it truly is a very competitive home buying process. Like it is out in California right now all the houses are going above asking price because it's becoming competitive and you got three, four bidders. That is, that is a recipe for disaster for a first time home buyer because they're going to get all excited. They're going to make a quick bid. They're going to try to close fast and they're going to pay a price that is in astronomical. So just don't let anyone rush you around. And like Johnny said, make sure you understand what the operating costs are in running this house with taxes, HOA, insurance, everything else, because often it's not what you pay for something, it's how much it costs to continue running it. Yeah, definitely agree. And uh, one thing I, I learned from looking into investing houses is you can bid quickly to lock yourself in because sometimes it is a competitive market. Just make sure you have some contingencies in there. So you can put, you know, you could put a couple grand down and say, yeah, you know, I, you know, I want to take this off the market. I want to lock this, this in, but the contingency is I want to have my guys go in and inspect it. And for any reason they don't like it, full refund. I'm mm. out. One thing while we're on the topic, Johnny, I wanted to recap with you was what about this, this opportunity out in Napa to build on your sister's property? Is that something that we could potentially build some small, tiny houses on together? It could be. I'm, I'm actually going out there uh, after the Nomad Summit in over Labor Day weekend. So, uh, September first through the third, on the fifth, flying to San Francisco. I'm going to be staying with my sister. I'm going to move, basically, move into one of her units, and I'll I'll scope it out. Um, I think there's some uh, there's some like building permit issues there where she can't build any more houses, mm -hmm. but she's allowed to build a winery and. If she builds a winery on on her ten acres, then she's allowed to build more buildings. Wow. Well, it sounds like we can put up like four different vines on each of our properties, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a little shrub, uh -huh. and then we can build some tiny houses behind it. I think that would be a really cool setup for you and I. Again, everyone's got their own circumstances, but if we're abroad six, seven, eight months a year, just to have a tiny home in a great area like Napa and if I'm not there, you might be there. And if you're not, the, if we're not there, someone else that builds a tiny home might be there. So someone's always kind of around the area that can make sure our properties aren't getting run over by vines and, and stuff like that uh, would be kind of a cool concept. Yeah. And we can rent them out as well, which, which I think is a great idea just to be able to 
you know, have that extra stream of income. If anything, you know, give my sister half to manage it. Uh, and then, you know, when we're in town, we can, we can live there for free and just have a place. Nobody's using my toilet, Johnny. I don't know about you. Uh, I'll be using your toilet. But, uh, <laughs> actually, aside from that, one biggest session I have is there is a new car coming to Nissan dealerships. I never thought I would ever want to buy a Nissan, but it is a Nissan camper van made by Recon Campers. And what I like about it is it's a small van. It's like, it's like the size of a Honda Odyssey minivan or something, Mm -hmm. but inside of it, you can, you know, you can make a full, like queen size bed or at least a full size bed. You can, you can fold that back up to, to be these chairs that can fold in any direction. So you can look out the back or you can look at the front. There's tables that you built in. There's a little kitchen in there and it's a pop top. So when you're, you know, driving normally, it's just a normal van height, gets 25 miles a gallon. So you can drive it just like a normal car. But once you park it somewhere, you can pop up the top, goes, the roof goes up to eight feet. And you, there's even sleeping quarters on top, so there's a, almost like a second bedroom on top. Mm. I am seriously considering my, buying this thing when it, when it comes out. This is a huge trend. I'm glad you you brought up this Nissan because I hadn't heard of it. But I was the next episode we're going to have coming out is on mobile home park investing, and it got me looking into RVs and stuff. RV sales are going berserk, bro. It's all being driven by millennials. People that have a, a thirst for adventure, they can work on the internet and enjoy the outdoors. RV sales are at all-time highs right now, and it's like 80% of the buyers are under 40 years old. It's nuts. So it's a big trend. Uh, it's something that you and I have talked about we want to do. I don't know if you would consider that a starter home, but uh, it kind of same is. Rules, same rules apply. Do your due diligence. It kind of is. Yeah. You know, hashtag van life. Let's talk about it right. more in next week's episode. I'm going to have to show you th- this video, uh, Recon Campers. Shout out to you guys. It it looks really cool. I I, I, th- I think there's a big chance that this is something that I would end up buying if and when I go back to the U.S. If anything, to just drive around the U.S., see all 49 states. You know, I guess mm. I can drive to Hawaii, but right. I think it would be really cool. I love it. So I'm interested to see how everything progresses with Chris. Chris, shout out for coming on and sharing your story. Hopefully you, ourselves, and all the listeners can learn something from this experience. I know there's definitely things that I've noted uh, in my memory bank that I'll apply next time I buy anything, but specifically a starter home for sure. And I'll tell you what, Johnny, I wouldn't want to be on either side of the legal storm that's brewing, but there's something that we're all going to learn from it. So we'll be sure to get information from Chris, see how it's going, support him along the way and see how it all plays out. Yeah. I wish that he would have just called out the names of his uh, shady realtor and just be like, don't use this person. Realtors got to eat too, man. They're just uh, doing what they know is best. It's, it's part know. of the American, it's I, I part of the American I, greed culture. I would have ripped this person apart. If anyone crosses me, I'm going to be talking about them on, on every episode. <laughs> yeah. He's going to re- be writing reviews on them on the Google local. He better. The realtors. He better. <laughs> all right. Great talking to you. Uh, looking forward to hanging out with you here in in Europe. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be meeting Sam up in Spain in a week or two. So probably maybe even the next episode. Um, hashtag road trip, hashtag van life. All right. Well, we won't have a van this time, but hashtag road trip. Yeah, buddy. All right, all right man. Good talking to you, Sam. Thanks, everyone, again for all the awesome reviews you've been leaving 
tag a friend in this episode, take a screenshot of it on your phone, however, you know, you want to share it. Tell, tell a good friend, tell someone who's either looking into buying their first house or you think they're going to be buying a, a house in the next year or two, you know, save their butt and let them have them listen to this episode. We'll see you guys all next week. Stay bossy. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment folios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.